page 179, chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. These are the commands, decrees, and law the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey all so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land following, flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised to you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols to on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And in Matthew, chapter 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The word of the Lord. just heard is the singing of the Shema. Shema is the biblical Hebrew word for hear. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 5 is called the Shema in the Jewish faith because it begins with the word hear or Shema. Hear, O Israel, The Lord is our God, the Lord alone, or the Lord is one. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And the Shema is the most well-known passage of Scripture in all of Judaism. Um, 
it is to be said by Jews upon waking in the morning, and it is to be said by them again when they go to sleep at night. The Shema can be said, it can be sung, it is most often sung, it is sung at the call to worship in every Jewish worship service every week in their synagogues, and in other worship services as well. Uh, and there are a few different musical versions, at least that I've heard of it, the one that you just heard I think is the most common when the Shema is sung. And when people, when, when Jews recite the Shema or sing it, they will often put their eye, hands over their eyes while they say it. And the reason for this is uh, it's a symbol of fo- being able to focus more on the Lord as they say those words. The Shema is the second of three prayers that are said when someone converts to become a Jew. A cleansing ritual bath is taken, and then that person says the Shema. The Shema is the first prayer that children are taught in the Jewish tradition. In fact, in delivery rooms, it is not uncommon for the parent or parents to read the Shema as soon as the child is born, so that it is the first words that that child will hear. Likewise, it is hoped that the Shema will be the last words on the lips of someone who is dying, or that these will be the last words that they hear before they go to be with the Lord. Uh, It's common for families to gather around loved ones who are about ready to leave this world and to say the Shema together, much like Christians might do with the Lord's Prayer or the 23rd Psalm. Now there's a debate about Judaism in their worship about whether when the Shema is sung or whether it's said, should people stand or should people sit? They'll cover their eyes, but do we stand or do we sit? Different congregations have different practices apparently, and there's a joke within Judaism about this. There's a man who was traveling and he goes to a Jewish congregation that was not his home and, and they're ready to say the Shema and he sees some people are standing and some people are sitting. And the people that are standing are uh, motioning to the people that are sitting, come on, stand up, it's time for the Shema. And the people that are sitting are grabbing the arms of those who are standing, you sit down, come on, it's the Shema. And the man was confused and he goes to the rabbi and he asks, well, what's the tradition of your congregation? And the rabbi says, Our tradition is to argue about it. The Shema, the hero Israel, has been called the quintessential expression of the most fundamental belief and commitment of Judaism. So I checked with my rabbi, Rabbi Alana Schwartzman, who pastors, uh, leads congregation Kolami over here in Canyon Rim nearby. And I asked her about the Shema. And so we went out to lunch, Vietnamese food. And uh, she, she tutored me. And Rabbi Alana told me that Judaism is not doctrinal. It's not doctrinal. Jewish, the Jewish faith has beliefs and they have convictions. But unlike Christianity, they don't have this systematic set of thought-out beliefs and theology. But Rabbi, my rabbi told me, if there is such a thing as doctrine in Judaism, this is it, the Shema. 
that the Lord is our God alone and that he is one is at the very core of Judaism. I learned that the Shema actually has three parts. The first part is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. We read that. The second part is in Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21, and then the third part in Numbers chapter 15. And all of these passages have in common that we are the instruction to love the Lord and to obey his commands, to do his commands, and to uh, get those into us in some way. Deuteronomy 11, if you read it, 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 uh, it tells people to bind the commands of the Lord on their hands and on their foreheads. Deuteronomy 6 says the same thing. And that is why, maybe you've seen this, Jews will attach little boxes on their foreheads or tie little boxes on their hands when they pray. These are called tefillin. Tefillin, and in those little boxes are little slips of paper with the Shema written on them. Literally, they put it on their forehead and they put it on their arm when they pray. Numbers 15, uh, the third part of the Shema, tells people to have tassels with blue cords on them while they pray to remember the command of the Lord. These tassels are called talit. And uh, they are on the prayer shawls. Here's a picture of a, a man. He happens to be on one of our trips in Israel, Jerusalem. And, and he is coming from prayer. You see that he has in his hand his prayer book, the scriptures. And you'll see on his forehead, there's a black box, a tefillin. And it's also tied to his arm. You see some black bands around his arm. And he has his prayer shawl. And maybe you can see it the, hanging from those prayer shawls are those uh, talits, those, those blue cords. And... Um, So this is the way they will dress when they pray. But three parts to the Shema, but the root of the Shema, the root of the Shema is Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord alone, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Jewish parents will sing this to their children when they go to bed at night. Rabbi Alana told me, Um, She grew up with her mother singing this to her every night when she put her to bed. I think that's a pretty nice tradition. Uh, Beautiful way to go into the night. Um, Beautiful thing to do for our children or something like that. Moses tells Israel to teach these words to your children. And uh, the Shema is to affect not only the person but the entire home. And it is to affect the home day in and day out. And one of the sermons in this series on the Shema is going to focus just on how we raise and teach and nurture our children. But the Shema is not only Jewish, it is also Christian. Jesus lived by the Shema. After all, he was a Jew. And the Gospels tell us on at least two different occasions, Jesus taught the Shema. One of those times we read in Matthew 22 when a lawyer, a a man schooled and practiced in the Jewish law of the Bible, uh, asked Jesus, which commandment is the greatest? I mean, the greatest, the number one commandment of all the Jewish law. And Jesus, interestingly, does not quote one of the Ten Commandments, as we might think he does. Jesus quotes the Shema. And he says, and this is the greatest and the first commandment. 
You shall love the Lord your God. That is the first and the greatest commandment there is. And then Jesus says, ah, but there's a second just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus didn't make that up. He's quoting from the Jewish law, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But he amends the Shema, and he goes a little further with it. He, he, he connects loving God with loving others. And on May 28th, the last Sunday of this month, the sermon's going to focus on that part, the, the loving others. And it's not just going to be Pastor Phil's voice this morning. You're going to hear some voices of some people in this your congregation, your church, who are going to talk about what it means to love others. So you want to be here for that, that Sunday, May 28th. But Jesus puts these two commands together. Love God and love your neighbor. And he says, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commands. Now, the law and the prophets was a shorthand way of saying the whole Bible, the whole scriptures. And remember, in Jesus' time, He's referring to the Hebrew Scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. That's, that was the only Bible there was at Jesus' time. Uh, and, and that was the Bible Jesus read, and that was the Bible Jesus studied, and that was the Bible Jesus went by. And he says, if a person keeps these two commands, love God, love your neighbor, you are in essence fulfilling and living the whole Bible. All the law and all the prophets. Scott McKnight is a professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary in Illinois, and he, in his book called The Jesus Creed, he says this, the first principle of spiritual formation is this, a spiritually formed person loves God and loves others. Pretty basic, pretty simple. And for those of us who sometimes, or for those of you who find the faith a little complex sometimes, like, oh my gosh, there's just so much I have to think about, so much I have to juggle if I'm going to live for Christ. Well, keep Jesus' words in your heart and your mind. Love God, love others, and you're doing just fine, Jesus says. Just do those things. As for actually living that out, well, tell me how it goes. It's a lifetime of work, and it's something that we have to do daily and just continue to come back to. So we're going to break down the Shema over the next few weeks for this very reason, because it can form our lives and it can form us spiritually. It is at the heart of living for God. The definition of holiness in Judaism, ask a Jew, what is the definition of holiness? It's the Shema, to love God. And the first word, and the word by which this passage gets its name is hear. Shema. We are to shema. We are to hear what God has said. If you read the book of Deuteronomy, you'll find that right before Moses gives the shema to Israel, he gives the Ten Commandments. Chapter 5 is the giving of the Ten Commandments. And Deuteronomy is, is really one big sermon of Moses telling Israel what God has done for them, their story of how they became his people and the laws that he wants them to live by as they are dedicated and devoted to him. And Israel is to hear. They're to listen. They're to get it. Uh, there's some 
old rabbinical interpretations of the Bible about this. It's called Midrash. In the Jewish tradition, Midrash is ancient commentary by rabbis about different meanings of the Bible. And it's often very free-flowing. It's often very imaginative. Uh, you, you would think a bunch of people got, rabbis got together with some Manashevitz, just opened the Torah and started talking about what they think it means. It's kind of all over the place. But there's a Midrash that the patriarch Jacob said the Shema on his deathbed as he was blessing all the sons of Israel, the offspring of Israel. And the sons reply this way. They say, blessed is God and his sovereignty. In other words, Jacob is saying, did you get this about loving God? Did you really get what I said? And they respond, yes, we heard it. We got it. How is our listening to God? How are we doing hearing the Lord's voice. You know, biblical spirituality is not just, well, just follow your heart. In the Bible, in fact, whenever people just follow their own heart, they usually end up going far away from the Lord. No, biblical spirituality is here, O Israel. The Lord is your God, and He is the Lord alone. Your heart may say one thing, and the Lord may say something else. And certainly scripture is a primary way of hearing the Lord's voice. I mean, how can we recognize the ways of God if we've never heard them? How do we know his heart for our lives and our world if we don't read, if we don't listen and hear? Sister Joan Chittister said, our entire generation has gone deaf. Scripture and wisdom and relationships and personal experience are all being ignored. We have not heard God. Consequently, there have been multiple and major wars in our own generations. We have tremendous poverty in the midst of great wealth. There's great loneliness in the midst of great, uh, highly populated communities. We see serious personal breakdowns and community deterioration in the face of unparalleled social growth. And there's a huge spiritual dissatisfaction in the midst of our great claims of being a God-fearing country. Here, here it says, and what we are to hear is that we are to love God. And the command to love God appears ten times in the book of Deuteronomy. And it appears nowhere else in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the, law, the books of Moses, sometimes called the Law or the Torah. Nowhere else but in Deuteronomy are people told to love God. The law tells us what to do. Love gives us the power to do it. The Shema is for all of Israel. It says, hear, O Israel. It's not just an individual thing. It's not just, hear, Phil, and you've taken care of it. No, it's, it's, it is to the people of God, to all people, because biblical faith is always lived out in a people. You are part of Israel. You are part of the church. There is no faith lived alone and individually in the Bible. It is communal. We live this relationship with God with others. Whether we like them or not. The thought that we can fully love God apart from doing it with the rest of the people of God is one of the twisted things of so-called spirituality in American Christianity today. Here is the first word, and the first thing that the people of God are to hear is that the Lord is our God. We're in relationship with him. 
And to say that the Lord is our God is to say he's sovereign in my life. The Shema doesn't say the Lord, hear that the Lord is my friend. That may be true. It doesn't say hear that the Lord is my consultant. It doesn't say here the Lord is our spiritual confidant. The Lord is our God. He's number one. He is ultimate. And we are to honor and worship him over anything else and everyone else. And that's a great challenge, I think, in our current climate, which is very human-centered, and people make their feelings and their experiences and their own thoughts sovereign. And the next phrase of the Shema can be read in two different ways. It can be translated the Lord alone, or it can be translated the Lord is one. And you'll find it both ways in Bibles. It can mean that the Lord is the only God and certainly the only one we are to love and to serve. This reading emphasizes the relational aspect of the Shema. There's no other power. There's no other path. There's no other value. But God, we don't look elsewhere. Or... If it means the Lord is one, it's talking about the Lord's nature, who God is, what he is like. The Lord is one. He's a unity. He's not divided. He's certainly not multiple gods like the religions that surrounded ancient Israel. And you know, in the, if you're into languages, there's no present tense in the Hebrew biblical language. I don't know how that works, but just there's no present tense. So really it just reads God one. It doesn't even really say God is one. It's just God one. An emphasis on the unity of God, his singularness. And in this way, I think the Shema focuses our attention on the fact that God unites our often scattered and divided lives. You know, we have all these different things going on, all these different concerns, all these different responsibilities and relationships and loyalties. We go in so many different directions. But the Shema says God is one and the one who loves God with all that we are in some way that unifies us. If we connect all the competing parts of our God, uh, of our lives to God, we will be more whole. So however that's interpreted, however that's read, the first thing to hear is who God is and that he is the only God and that he is one. The second thing to hear is our response to the Lord. And that response is love. The proper relationship to the Lord isn't just intellectual belief. It's not just that God exists. It's not just respecting God. It's not just acknowledging God. It is love. And love is a personal, intimate, trusting relationship. Isn't that what love is? We love God because God first loved us. He brought Israel out of Egypt and he made them his people. He came and sent his son, Jesus, for us, to die for us and redeem us. We love God because God first loved us. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. That's what Jesus said. If you love me, you'll just do what I said you should do. And we are to love him with all we are, all our heart, all our soul, all our strength. Not halfway, not partial. The Lord wants all of us. The Shema, it was the touchstone for Israel's faith and life. It was the plumb line by which they measured their relationship to the God of history. Love the Lord your God 
which is why the Shema grew into something that should be said every morning and should be said every evening. And those who say these words do it with the understanding that they live under the rule of the Lord of Israel and the way he shapes their lives, their daily conduct, their inner lives. It is to say, this is the creed I will live by. What is the creed you live by? Could you say it? Here, O Israel. No different than ancient Israel, we as Christ's church are a people who are addressed by the commanding voice of the Lord when he speaks, and our lives are to be lived in response to that. We hear and we respond, and we respond in love. Do you know in Latin that the word for hear is related to the word obey? To hear is to obey. If, if Sheila in our office, our executive administrator, asks Phil to do something, and Phil doesn't do it, have I heard her? If a word is spoken and there's no response, it has not really been heard. So to whom and to what are you listening to for guidance and to guide your life? Give coherence to your life. Let's really try to hear God. And in hearing the Lord, let's respond in love. What if I really loved God and was intentional about this every day? How might I grow? How might my life change? How might I grow in awareness of the Lord? How might our hearts be more open to the Lord if we prayed the Shema at the beginning of our day and at the end of our day, like our Jewish friends do? What would happen if I put God, loving God, before my eyes all the time? What do you say we try? Huh? Working the Shema into our daily lives might be a life-giving spiritual practice. I'm going to ask our ushers, uh, Mark, maybe you can do this. They're going to pass out some cards. They're going to pass out these small cards with the Shema written on it for you. And uh, you can fold them up, made them on cards so that you can stand them somewhere. They're easy to stand, but you can put them somewhere where you see it the beginning of your day, and at the end of your day. Go ahead and pass those out, please, every row. And uh, you can put it maybe by your nightstand, if that's the first thing you see. Uh, Maybe you can put it on the mirror in your bathroom if you want to, if that's the first thing you see in the day and the last thing you see. Or you can put it by your phone for you phonaholics, if that's the first thing you check when you open your eyes and the last thing you look at before you uh, go to sleep. Just pass them out and and pass them right down the rows. Just give them a stack. That's great. And uh, use this small card to say the Shema in the morning and in the night. And let's just try this for the next few weeks during this series, during the days of this series, okay? And um, know that other people will do it with you and are doing it with you. Say, I'm not the only one doing this. There are other people who share in this with me. And then see how it affects you. See how it affects your mindset throughout the day, your awareness, your sensitivity to the Lord, okay? See what happens with that. I would like to end our first sermon by standing together and let's say the Shema, just the core of it from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's say this 
together. Together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might.